I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And we are Two, Two Average, Average Girls. Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. Here we are. <laughs> oh, you're really throwing me off now. Come on. Don't I, do that. Listen. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. <laughs> now that's the greeting I'm used to. Thank you very much. The Muppet greeting. That's the greeting right. from I, Grover or Kermit T. Frog. Or somebody. Yeah. I don't know. I Like I said, I'm just trying to be upbeat, but here I am. I'm back. You're back, baby. Ready to rock and roll here. Were you gone? Mentally, yes. <laughs> like always. <laughs> a little gone. Yeah. It's just been a little rough. The heat in this, in the area we live in now yeah. in southern california yeah. i know it's global warning warming we're all trying to make it work i'm just saying i i don't know something's it's a lot the heat's extra heaty at this time it's for now some like october let's go to the fall no no no. october second summer in southern california i know it is that's just the way it's, it is it's kind of crazy it's kind of crazy i had an interesting experience the other day though that i've been waiting to share with you oh good on the pod and i'll be brief i was invited um last minute ish to a Michael Bublé concert. What? Did I you know. go? Yeah. Where was I? Well, I waited to tell you so that I could tell you. I'm a oh podcast. my gosh. I didn't even know you did this. <laughs> I talked to you every day. I know, but I, I went to this Michael Bublé concert. You're like going incognito away from me. You don't even tell me. I, I had to hide it so <laughs> bad. It was all I could do. Um, I have had. Where was it? It was up at what used to be Staples Center and is now Crypto Arena. Yeah, Crypto Arena, yeah. Please. Oh, I was thinking it was going to be like the Hollywood Bowl. That's where I would picture oh, him. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, that Hollywood would Bowl. be something something to behold. But but ha, let me just preface this by saying anyone who knows me knows who knows me well knows that I have very specific taste in music and I hate country music. I yes. dislike it immensely. And your husband likes it. Husband loves it. Denise loves it. Denise's husband loves it. And so <laughs> this is all, you know, most people do love it. So several years ago, like pre-quarantine, you like it. I yeah. like it. I don't love, love it. Pre-quarantine, I got home from work one day and my husband goes, okay, are you ready for a good time tonight? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, put on your cowboy boots. And I'm like, no, I don't, <laughs> A, I don't own them. B, if I did, I wouldn't put them on because I don't know what you're up to. He had gotten last minute tickets to the, jo uh, not George Strait, Garth Brooks concert at the pond in Anaheim and I'm like this is the last thing I want to do in the world <laughs> we go to this concert and fast forward I've never had a better time in my life see I knew two of the songs it was like a three-hour concert and the seats were really good because sometimes those last-minute seats you're like kind of up front and whatever I lost my mind I'm a huge Garth Brooks fan now really? I can't oh I love him to death I know all the songs blah blah so when my girlfriend called and was like hey I scored these last minute Buble tickets and I'm like mm, I don't think I'm a Buble fan and she's like I'm a huge Buble fan which I did not know this about her and she was like no huge Buble fan come with me okay so we go guess who's a huge Buble fan now, now you are oh my gosh this guy his voice is yes. like butter. It's butter. He is the, he's kind of in those, the realm of like Harry Connick Jr. Yes. only with an edge. Yes. And with a better voice. Yes. And a better program, better songs. He sang the standards. He sang the songs that he was famous for, all of which I knew. I didn't even know living yes. in my brain were Buble songs. Yes. He's charming and adorable, the face of an angel. And I just was like, sing more. He did an entire set of just Elvis songs. And he has this great story about meeting Priscilla Presley and his connection with Elvis Presley. And I, you got to go see the concert. But I mean, he's, 
he so that's what i did undercover brother secret wow. i was at the staple center with it was pretty packed i want to do that yeah it was pretty packed and everybody loved buble i mean that's loved. next level it was that's next like level. iconic you want to go to something like that because mm-hmm. you, you can say i've seen that person well now i'm a fan and I wouldn't have been before. Exactly. If someone had asked me before, I'd have been like, what? A crooner? Which is the category I would have put him in, which is wrong. Right. He's not He's necessarily a crooner. ish He has some, he can croon. He has crooner qualities. But sounds bad. I don't like it. It doesn't make for a good outlook for the person. No, it's not something it's not that. super, up, no. yeah, it's not a positive. No, it's not a positive spin. No. Well, my nieces are huge, um, fans of his from his christmas album but yes. they don't listen to anything besides the christmas album and he kind of made some jokes about how oh the christmas album has paid for everything this is just <laughs> fun for me you know doing the rest the christmas album just continues to sell so anyway that was my little uh, clandestine journey that's so exciting it was exciting well i guess you have a life outside of me i don't I don't. Apparently that you was do. the one thing I did, and it was all I could do to keep from telling you about it. <laughs> and you it. cheated on me. I did. I cheated on you, but I'm coming with clean Buble. now. With the boob, is it okay to cheat with the boob lie? Though, of course. <laughs> he's the. He's my hall pass. He's whatever. <laughs> he is. He's a cutie. No, he's darling, and he's talented, and very. I like him. So I'm. I'm going to give you the pass. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> we are very excited today. Yeah, we are. To have. A very special guest on today. I want to an- introduce Amber Hales. Welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you. Amber, I'm are you to be here. are you a fan of Michael Bublé? I am. Okay, good. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Has nothing to do with music or Bublé or crooners, but we're well, here. I'll come to the concert. <laughs> yeah. We have been wanting to have Amber on because she is she represents sort of what we started this podcast about, which is. Uh, strong women doing amazing things and also women reinventing themselves and um, I don't know that Amber would agree do you think you've reinvented yourself I do agree oh good yes. oh good 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 I didn't know I was like no I didn't know I didn't know if you if you felt the same or uh, you know you get to a certain point in your life where you're like okay I'm, I'm now I'm done with that now I'm gonna go do this right well I think it was for me it was more for, a forced thing um, and I was talking, I, I have a, this amazing personal trainer that comes to my house at 6.15 in the morning. And yeah. he, um, it's a he. he. Is he cute? He's darling. <laughs> <laughs> Just asking. I mean, if I'm getting up early in the morning, I want to know what I'm looking at. But the way I found him was I had just finished um, going to physical therapy for my breast cancer. Um, for my double mastectomy and someone told me that he was going to PT school Mm. and he was working on the side to make money as a personal trainer Mm. and I thought that's exactly who I need right now I don't need a you know Mr. Strong I need someone who's soft and understanding and encouraging and but knows kind of what's going on here yeah because I had no more strength of you know and so anyway I was talking he's been with me through the whole journey and um so I was talking to him this morning about this um, conversation yeah and in reinventing yourself and he was saying you know when you go through hardship you can either uh, most of the time 
we try to say, okay, I'm just going to power through this and then I'm going to get back to where I was. Right. And that was kind of the person that I was before. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was athletic, somewhat athletic and mm -hmm. I was just going to power through it and get back to where I was before. And he said, you realize after you go through something like that, that that doesn't work, that mm -hmm. you'll never be the person you were before. And he said, it works out so much better if you start from scratch and reinvent yourself and create a new you. Wow. That's, that's really true. It's really true. But it's also a little, well, as you were saying that, I was like, oh, that's almost like you have to mourn the loss of the person you were. You do. Prior to that. You do. And it's definitely, I've done that a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you you do have to mourn, but you're you're kind of doing that anyway. You know, there's no escaping it. Yes. And uh, I just feel like if you embrace the new you, it's a much more positive path. Yeah. You know. What year were you diagnosed with breast cancer? I had an interesting uh, diagnosis experience because. Um, I had been going for mammograms uh, every year diligently. Okay. My mom had had breast cancer, okay. and so I started going early, mm -hmm. and I would go every year, and I thought I was being very proactive, um, but I had what they consider very dense breast tissue, and they would always tell me that. Yeah. And they would say, well, well you really should go pay extra and go get this other test. Okay. You know? But my insurance wouldn't cover it, and I just thought, well, I'm doing, you know, the basics, and a lot of women aren't even doing this, and I'm, you know, just going to keep doing this. So then I felt a lump in my breast. It was probably the size of a walnut. Oh. Um, so I went right in, and the doctor, um, he was a breast cancer surgeon, mm -hmm. Um, kind of knew my husband, mm -hmm. you know, knew the family. Um, he said, well, we'll just do a needle biopsy on you. Okay. And then you can know. So he did a needle biopsy, said it came back fine. Oh. And he said, come back in six months just to check because sometimes it can change. But I just had this sense you know, you just get this feeling. And I just had this sense that when I came back in six months, it wasn't going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So I didn't postpone it. You know, sometimes when they say six months, you make it seven or eight. Right. Or I was there right at six months. And when I, and this was in 2017. Okay. And um, I went in the ultrasound tech started doing the ultrasound and she immediately stopped and freaked out and ran out of the room oh nice and <laughs> what that doesn't seem I like protocol yeah that doesn't and seem uh she ran and got her supervisor who came in were you in there by yourself then when yeah, she left so I was oh. in there by myself. she she came in and she showed her on the ultrasound and she said i want to do a surgical biopsy today okay and i said okay you know i was feeling a little freaked out but yep. i was like sure so they ran and got m the breast cancer surgeon brought him in he said yeah you need to do a biopsy today okay surgical biopsy i was like okay 
and then he said and then they were prepping me and they said oh by the way you know is there anything do you take anything any supplements and I said yeah I take a baby aspirin because my doctor told me to Mm -hmm. and they stopped and they said oh we can't do it then you have to wait two weeks no so I had to go home and wait two weeks did you google anything and then I didn't really know what to google did you talk to Clayne so, about it? Yeah, I talked to Clayne, and he was very, um, he downplayed it yeah. a lot. You know, oh, it's going to be fine. No well, big deal. Fo- your husband's a doctor. Yeah. Folks need My to know. My husband's an anesthesiologist. Yeah. Does a lot of, he's done a lot of breast cancer surgeries. But, you know, <clears throat> not to get off track, mm-hmm. but one of the things when we were talking, and I said, well, what, you know, what are some of your thoughts on my experience? He said, well, the first thing I would say is I probably had seen almost a thousand or more surgeries. And he said, I can tell you that as the doctor, I had no idea what it was really like and what these women were going through. Mm-hmm. Until he experienced Until it with I you. Until I experienced it with you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was his main takeaway. Oh. So, so it was just a very um, up and down, you know, so two weeks later, you Journey. go back. Two weeks later, I go back, and that was just the beginning of the process. They did the ultrasound, again, said I had such d- dense breast tissue that that wasn't good enough. They couldn't mm. see it, so they signed me up for an MRI. Still said they couldn't see it, but I was taking other medication that they said would maybe affect the MRI, so I had to wait another month. Oh, no. And then um, they did a CT. Oh, my goodness. And at all along, they had been saying, well, we'll probably be doing a lumpectomy, and that will, you know, save your mm. breast. Yeah. And then when they got the results, they found that I had four tumors. Four. In my breast. In the same, on and the same side? On the same side, and they were distributed throughout the breast. So that was when I found out that there was no chance of saving my breast. Yeah. And so then it was a matter of deciding, well, do I want to just take off one yeah. or do I want to take both? Mm-hmm. So I had to, you know, explore that option for a little while. And what I found was most of the women, if they did, keep one of their breasts they changed their mind later and went back it's really hard to look good when you're trying to do that yeah and you're always worried that you're going to get cancer on the other side right so I didn't want to deal with that was the cancer that you had the same type of cancer that your mother had or is was there a genetic component to your breast cancer I did so I got tested for the gene I did not have it oh okay um, I was kind of the last person in the world that you would think, if if you look at the factors that lead to breast cancer, and of course, I think one in eight women in Orange County are going to get breast cancer, so Oof. it's common, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but um, the things that can prevent it are exercise. I exercise a lot. Yep. Um, I eat really healthy. I don't drink. Mm-hmm. I don't smoke. Um, they say nursing your baby 
um, helps to prevent it. Okay. I nursed four children for a year. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really, even though my mother got it when she was older, they discounted that because she was older. Mm. Interesting. And um, so I wasn't expecting to have four tumors. That was... No, it's a lot. A lot. Yeah. And they said talked to someone later who was an expert who said that probably took about five years to grow <gasps> what so when you're going to get your mammograms yearly yes so they were they, they were, weren't showing anything is it because you didn't go to the next level what mm -hmm. did they want you to do they wanted you to do the 3d mm -hmm. and and the 3d or an mri and that's interesting is it because of the density you think yep the the initial part of that experience to me seemed pretty hard just because you were waited for a month and a half just to find out the fate and then it wasn't what you were expecting right from there what happened so um well and you brought up kathy nielsen which i just want right. to touch on uh, kathy and i have been friends our families have in fact we joke our families that um that we live parallel lives <laughs> because we have these similarities like both of our husbands' mothers were Belle of the Y. Like, <laughs> what? Most random <laughs> That is random. That's great. So we have all these parallel things. So when I got cancer, she was really, she called me up and said, I am going to be there for you. Mm -hmm. She and was diagnosed first. No, I was. Oh. Yeah. So oh. I was diagnosed in September, and she had been coming over and bringing me lunch mm. um, and kind of, you know, talking to me about it. And then in November, it was towards the end of November, she called me up one day and said, I'm, I need to come over to lunch and oh, talk to you. And she came over and told me that she had just been diagnosed. Oh, no. And it was like this crazy feeling, wait, seriously this is going too far on the like, similarity yeah. issue right. like this is taking it the bell way. of the the bell of the why was one thing right like just because our husbands have the same glasses and the same khaki <laughs> pants like this and is, our, our daughters are friends this is next level <laughs> right yeah, yeah but it's kind of like you said it's so interesting that while our journeys were completely different total different treatment total different experience in that sense we went through it together mm -hmm. And there was so many similarities. Mm. The feelings and the fear and the, you know, kind of like we talked about having to reinvent yourself mm -hmm. from a person who's healthy yep. and strong and can power through life mm -hmm. to someone who can't do that anymore right. and who has to, you know, like... You would have experiences. I had this one experience. Um, so the first surgery, I've had five surgeries in regards to my breast cancer. Mm. And the first one, they wanted to do a what they call the skin saving, mm. which is where they literally save your nipples mm -hmm. so they won't die. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they have to draw them on with a tattoo or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. But this was a new concept. So, but they have you come in and they lay you on the table and the two surgeons that are going to do it sit there and they take a black marker and they draw all over your <sighs> chest mm -hmm. and they say, don't worry about us. We're just going to talk over you. 
Okay. And so you're lying on the table. They're completely ignoring you. And you're exposed. And you're completely exposed. And they're drawing with a black marker that's not going to come off. Um, you know, drawing all these random lines, trying to decide where they want to cut and what they want to do. And it's kind of mind-blowing, you know. They're it, creating a pattern, it's, basically, on you of yes. where to cut. Okay. And, you know, so there are these experiences where you're just sitting there thinking, this can't be my life no. that I'm, ex- you know. I'm watching this I'm on a TV show. This right. is like, you know, ER or something. Right. And um, so we, you have those experiences, but then in contrast, you have little things that happen where you feel like it's God telling you, wait, I, I, I want you to know that I'm here and I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. I know who you are. I know who you are. Yeah. And that happened to me multiple times. Um, but the first time was extra meaningful to me because I had just come out of the dentist's office and my, I was numb. I couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. And I got the call from the breast surgeon that to tell me that I had that it was cancer. I'd been waiting and I'd been nervous, and so as soon as I could see that he was calling me, I picked up, even though I couldn't really talk. Yeah. So he tells me over the phone, and then he, he says, "Do you have any questions?" And I said, "No," because I couldn't talk right it wasn't a good time <laughs> yeah so I said no you're in shock I yeah what do you ask right then you're trying to process and so then I sat there for a second and I thought well what do I do now I can't call anyone I can't claims it you know he's in the operating room yeah. I can't call him I'm trying to process this and so I thought I'm just gonna do what I would have already done which is going to I'm gonna go to the grocery store Okay. So I pulled out of the parking lot, pulled into the grocery store parking lot, pulled my car up, and I get out and I look up, and standing literally like five feet away is a woman who I knew from church, who I hadn't seen in a while because she lives in Irvine. She doesn't live anywhere near that grocery store. Mm-hmm. Be no reason for her to come to that grocery store. She's getting out of her car, and she's just kind of standing there. She turns and sees me, and she's this motherly, very, you know, we had this lovely, we worked together with the young adults, mm-hmm. and she's this very motherly person, and we had a good relationship, and she looks up, and she says, Amber, how are you? Mm-hmm. First thing she says, and I just look at her, and I, of course, just, burst into tears and tell her, you know, well, I just found out I have cancer and, you know, but so what did she do? She gives me a, you know, she gives me a big hug and she loves me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then I'm walking through the grocery store crying because God loves me. God knew that I needed Claudia to be there at that moment. And I really felt that that was what happened? That happened um, another time. I had gone in to an appointment, and I went. I had to go to a lot of the appointments alone, which was fine. Yeah, you know, but Clint Kent couldn't go right. with me, and um, 
So this was a particularly difficult appointment. I found out um, part of the way into the um, process that they saw a node under my breastbone mm -hmm. that they thought had cancer. Oh. And it was right next to my heart, and there, it was very controversial as to whether you could even do radiation because it would affect the heart. Yeah. And, and it was inoperable in terms of it was so deep that there, were, there was only like one person in the country even did that surgery, and they weren't sure mm. if that was a good idea. Mm. So... My breast surgeon said that he was going to run it. They have this board that meets every three months over Zoom, and they talk about difficult cases, and he yeah. was going to have this discussed. And so I was concerned, you yeah, know, yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. And I came out of the appointment, and my daughter worked in a, the surgery center just two doors down. Mm. And But, you know, you, you work in a surgery center, you don't leave. No. You work you're there straight yeah but that day she just happened to get a break right at the moment that I came walking out and she knew I had an appointment so she came over and was sitting on the bench waiting for me when I came out of my appointment and that was another example of you know feeling like okay I can do this God knows mm -hmm. you know he's he's sending these little angels along the way and, and then you experience that and you start wanting, that's how you reinvent yourself. You start realizing, okay, I want to play that role, right? That's a better role. That's a better role. <laughs> that's a better place to be. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's, and you know, it's, you realize how meaningful that role is and yeah. how important if they didn't listen to that prompting and act, how, what, what you would have missed, you know? Have you found opportunities to to be that person, whether knowingly or sort of unknowingly, I'm just kind of going by a, well, I think, you know, maybe I should go to this grocery store that's outside my, you know, usual neighborhood. Have right. you found yourself in that situation? I think I have. I, um, I you know, since um, my granddaughter passed away, tragically, um, one of the times, and I, I listened to the podcast you did recently with, um, make it a clotting day. Oh, yes, know, yes. And that cute idea. We um, we were struggling with our grief, and we went to Boston, and it was the one-month anniversary of her death. Mm -hmm. And it was this freezing cold day in Boston. We had our two grandchildren there, and we were in charge of them, mm -hmm. getting them to school on the tee and get, coming home. Mm -hmm. And... and we decided we need to do something positive today to remember Addie and to, because we were really sad. You know, it was just a dark, gloomy day. And so we decided we were going to go by 10. She was 10 years old when she passed. And so we decided we were going to go buy 10 gift cards that were $10. And we were going to go around Boston and we were going to hand them out to people and brighten their day because our slogan for Addie is um, you know brighten someone's day like Addie Mae and she was that person you know she was a bright light bright light so we head out on the tee because we're headed to take the little boy to preschool and 
this woman sits down on the tee and she's she just looks depressed mm-hmm. she looks downtrodden it's like kind of elbow kind of that's our first person here <laughs> you know give her the give her the card and so he reaches over and he says you know and he kind of explains it and she says oh, i can't take it i can't take it he said what do you mean you can't take it she said I'm going home from work because I'm having such a hard day and I'm feeling depressed and I wouldn't honor her oh. her memory of being happy because I'm f- having such a hard day today. And so we had to talk her in to taking this card and saying, no, this is why we're here. So we ended up having the most amazing experiences going around Boston. We gave it to a policeman. Oh. And he just, he had small children, so he invited the little kids into his car and turned on things and told us, he, you know, asked us about Addie and we gave it to homeless people and they were grateful and we had conversations and went to the fire station because we, you know, we weren't trying to thank the first responders. Yeah. And they were darling, you know, so supportive and understanding and grateful you know appreciative and it just was an amazing way of turning the day from being very dark to being very bright Mm -hmm. you know yeah you brightened up other people's day but it made your day yes better which is the whole trick of of service and charity that you never fully believe until you're doing it yeah you know that if I if I help this person it's going to make me feel better and oof, that's a that's a tough lesson to to have to be reminded of every every single time you <laughs> right. know right and obviously Chelsea and her family have that down pat yes. but um we probably got the idea you know from watching them do you do something to honor Addie every year or something like that so I had another experience where um one day I we were trying to figure out what we were gonna do. Addie had her birthday was coming up and that's always a rough yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And so I was praying about what I could do for her birthday. Yeah. And I woke up one morning and uh I had a text message from a girl that's in my Sunday school class that's in high school and she said, Hey I was looking for local, um, some local scholarships to BYU, and they said to check with your local Orange County Alumni Association, and when I looked at the website, I saw you were on the committee, and she said, so I was wondering if we have any scholarships that are offered through the Orange County Alumni. Well, I had served on that committee before I got cancer. Mm-hmm. And then when we got, when I got sick, I had kind of fallen off, and yeah. it had not really been too active since. And but it was kind of uh, amazing that she would still see my name right there. Yeah. And when I got that text from her, I realized Addie spent her last day of life at BYU. Oh, she did. Um, they were up in Utah touring. BYU and showing her the campus because she wanted to be an engineer. So they went and saw the engineering uh, area. They went and 
went to the bookstore, and both her parents went to BYU, and yeah. they were going to go to a football game, mm-hmm. and they have these darling pictures of them all sitting in their BYU gear, all geared up, and they went home to get ready and get a few things, and that's when the accident happened, and they never made it to the football game. So I thought to myself, this is what I should do. I should create a scholarship for an Orange County girl who is going to go to BYU in Addie's name. Mm. And that's how I can honor her birthday. And so I called up the committee in the Orange County alumni who hadn't been doing much. Right. And I said, do you want to help me? And they said, we would love to. And I had other, it was kind of like God just kept opening the doors to help me do it. And um, an old friend, you remember the Pauls? Mm -hmm. He just happened to be the chief financial officer at BYU. So I called him and said, how do I do this? And he said, I'll make some calls. I'll call you back at 8 o'clock in the morning. Called me back 8 o'clock in the morning. Said, this is the person that you call. Like, you know, just it was just like God was just paving the way. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I, we put it out there, and we had all these people who loved Daddy, like people at the hospital where Kenna... My daughter Kenna is a nurse at the in the OR where my husband works, mm. and a lot of those people really loved, you know, knew Addie but loved loved my family yeah. and are they donated to the BYU scholarship. Wow. Um, so people from all over, and so we were able to raise the hundred twenty thousand for an endowment, mm-hmm. and so now we have a scholarship every year. Uh, but we actually raised more money this year, so we gave it to two people this year. And that process is so wonderful for us because what we do is we we tell them, submit a two-minute video telling us what your passion is and how you're going to brighten the world with that passion. And then we get to watch their these amazing videos and the first time we had to pick the person we were so nervous I bet. how will we ever pick how many applications did you have the first year it was 36 they had they had to graduate from an orange county high school oh okay to apply it narrows it down yeah yeah and so we try to get the word out as much as we can could but we only got about 36 videos mm-hmm so we have we decided okay we're gonna watch the videos and then one of them is kind of techie so she created a way to vote um blindly oh okay so we all voted blindly for who we thought this is your whole family this is no this is a committee of orange county committee oh got it okay and um there are people in my family on the committee like clayne and i and kenna okay are on it Mm -hmm. but there's seven total okay and we voted blindly and I was praying like mm-hmm. I was so nervous <laughs> what if we can't decide what if we argue about it what if right. you know what if so we have the meet we have the meeting to decide and she pulls up the, st- the stat or the results of the vote and every single person voted for the same girl 
Really? We oh. didn't even have to have a meeting. Oh. Because we had all picked the same person. What and type of scholarship is it? Is it a tuition scholarship? It's a full tuition scholarship. For one year? For one year. Okay. That's amazing. That's, I'm, I'm blown away. I, I, so. I would have died for a scholarship like that. That's yeah. such an amazing thing. So it's been, you know, Kenneth gets to be on the committee yeah. and um, it's just been so positive. Yep. And um, we have everyone who applies, you know, read about Addie and, and you know, kind of her life and what she did. And so it's just a beautiful way to keep her memory Alive. going forward in a, in a positive way. Oh, there's nothing more positive than educating people. I, I watched you and your family go through not only the breast cancer, but um, the death of Addie in, in a way that is just remarkable to me. Because a lot of people, and, and I know I've, I've, I've had people say to me too, like, well, I don't know how you do it. Or the reality is you don't really have a choice. Right. You, you have a choice to, on how you're going to handle it. You got to go through it one way or the other. Right. The breast cancer, you could have chosen to be angry and bitter or frustrated and ch- to focus on the worst. Mm-hmm. But you saw the, the hand of God and the positive right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from, do you think? Wow. You know, I, I do think you have to make a choice. Um, where you are either going to be angry with God, if you do have a belief in God, either going to be angry with Him, or you're going to say, okay, God, this is really hard, but I'm going to choose to trust you, that you have this figured out beyond me. Right. And for me and my faith, that's the better option. That's more comforting, you know that I can just hand it over to them. And I think that's where the reinventing comes into play. Because mm-hmm. you kind of have to go to the very bottom and start from scratch and say, well, you know, do I have faith? What is my belief? And do I, am I going to trust God that this is really going to be okay? Or, you know, that it's just... Uh, you know, my life is just going to suck. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's going to, excuse the... No, that's that. It's sort but, of like, well, I give up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are, of course, you know, of course you grieve and you, it's like we said, you you mourn. I mean, all the time still, I, I, I wish Addie had, you know, right. I, I wish for a life before Addie died. Yes. There's still every week something hard. Right? Is there any advice you can give to people out there that might be going through this or any kind of hard time, whether it's breast cancer, a loss in the family, a loss of a job, it, 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 a divorce, it could be anything. Is there any d- advice you would have for anybody going through this on how to get through it and make it happen? Well, I think, first of all, I would say, even though it's our tendency to want to just be like, I'm strong and I'm going to power through this, mm-hmm. it, it, is so much better if you can rely on people and accept help. Yeah. Um, one of the things that oh, I kept thinking about going through this was I will never discount the importance of a warm meal. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. 
that when people would bring me the warm meals, one of the things you go through when you have a mastectomy is they do the surgery and they, it's basically an amputation. You know, some people have a misconception that you're getting a free boob job and that is <laughs> so far from the truth. Who thinks that? Because they take, <laughs> they take everything out. All the tissue, everything you know, all is All the gone. tissue, all your muscle, all your upper body strength is gone. And um, then they go, you go in once a week and they inject into your breasts and they expand you mm -hmm. and depends on how much pain you can tolerate how much they do each time and so basically you you go home and you go to bed oh. after, after that because it's so painful because it's so painful. i remember you going through this and you saying this was like the worst part it was the worst and um when i would have one of those days and someone would show up with, you know, a bowl of soup and some warm bread. Mm -hmm. It was, it was like unbelievable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, well, but you have to communicate and let people know. You have to be willing to say, yeah, I'm struggling. And I need this help. This is hard. And I would, and I would love to have you come by, you know, or bring me some soup. And that's not an easy thing for most of us to do, right? No. We're used to doing that for other people. Yeah. Or we're used to doing it for other people. One of the things that you and I talked about prior to getting on mic was that you kept a journal um, through this experience, the breast cancer experience. I found that not only fascinating, but such a great idea. Have you been able to look back on some of the things that you went through? Because I know when you're going through traumatic things, and I just know all of us you don't remember some of those things but if you're writing it down right after it happens and then you can go back two or three five years later it makes it all it makes all the difference have you been able to do that yeah well when you asked me to come I went back and it my journal is pink no oh. and so it's easy to find and I pulled it out and started rereading it and you know it's kind of an emotional experience but um it was it was also super affirming like there was a page where i had written all the kind things that everyone had done for me mm -hmm. and um denise is on there i'm sure you know? yeah, a i lot. don't even remember <laughs> and um you know and i would try to focus on that and reflect on it um so but i think the thing that was the most important part of keeping a journal is this is such an up and down experience you, know, you they tell you one thing like they told me I was gonna have a lumpectomy and you start preparing yourself for that lumpectomy mm -hmm. and you go back the next week and they say oh no you have four tumors you're having a mastectomy, mastectomy. and then you know you go so then you prepare for that you, you decide okay well once I have that mastectomy I'll be done right and then they find the lobe and then they say oh well you might need eight weeks of radiation mm. well I thought that was the whole point of having a mastectomy is not needing radiation that. and now I'm looking at eight weeks of radiation and so it's just one up and down you know roller coaster of emotion and so in being able to record that 
in a journal. And what I learned was just take one day at a time. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. You know, just deal with today and then we'll deal with what we find out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow. And um, I had, you know, a lot of other, one of the things that happened after my third surgery when they put the implants in, Mm -hmm. I um, started having a lot of shoulder pain. And I kept telling my doctor, I can't lift my arm. And this isn't normal. You know, I've already, this is my third surgery. This is more pain than should, I should be having. Something's not right. Mm -hmm. And he kept kind of telling me, oh, you haven't given enough time or, you know, (laughs) telling me all these things. So I went a long time, two, three months with this terrible pain. I couldn't dress myself. It was really bad. And finally, my husband was in surgery with a shoulder surgeon. Mm Mm-hmm. And they they knew knew me and said, so how's Amber doing? And he said, oh, she's kind of struggling. She's got this problem. The guy immediately, he said, oh, she has a frozen shoulder. Oh. He said, it's like 80% if a woman is over 50 and has, you know, mastectomy surgery that, you know, it's very common and... Why and all she has to, to do is come in and get an injection in, a st- you know, in her shoulder, in joint. and a 90% chance she'll be cured tomorrow. And? So I immediately, he got me in, you know, immediately. I got the injection, and I f- that night, we, we joked because I went to a <laughs> young women fundraiser it was having an auction. Uh-huh. And I was so excited that I felt better. And my friend came up to me and said, how are you doing? And I raised my hand and I said, I'm doing great. And I said, she's bidding on that item and, and she's going to take it. And I bought chocolate for $50. Yes, you did. And the best $50 she ever spent. So I took, the, I took the chocolates and I gave them to my shoulder surgeon. Oh, the yes. shoulder so surgeon. great. And I said, you're the reason why I have these chocolates. It's so awesome. It, did you end up having to have radiation because of that no. node? What happened to the node? So um, that was another emotional journey. Uh, they referred me, once I had healed from my surgeries, they referred you to oncology. Mm. And I went to an oncologist, and I told him about the node and explained the whole situation. And he said, come back in three weeks. What's with the, th- it's always three weeks. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you, then you go home, you have, you're stressed, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I came back, and I t- this time I had my sister come over and go with me because I was so nervous. Sister lives in Arizona too, yeah. so it's not um, easy. I, I was so nervous by this point that, you know, I was ready for, I was done. Mm-hmm. I was ready to be done. And you've already had some bad news and each time it didn't get any better. Yeah, and you're thinking, it, it kept, it never got better, <laughs> right? And um, so we go to this appointment and he looks at it and he goes, well, looks like you're doing great. We're going to put you on this drug that they put everybody on that has this type of tumor. And um, and then I said, well, but what about 
the lobe, the mediastinal yeah. lobe, and do, am I going to have to have radiation? And he looks at me and he goes, I forgot about that. No. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's unbelievable. <laughs> and he said, hold on here. And he starts calling people on the phone. He starts calling my you know, breast cancer surgeon. He pulls up my thing on the computer. Like, and I'm s sitting there with my sister during all this. You're just shaking your head going, I can't believe this. And I, it was like I had hives. I could not get out of that office mm. faster. I was like, I'm, there, I, I've got to have a different doctor. I mm -hmm. can't. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. So I went and um, I went looking for another oncologist, found one that was very decisive yep. and, and gave me confidence. And I've been very happy with him. But then they said, we want you to go to a radiation oncologist and get a consult about this node. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they all told me was, if you go to a radiation oncologist, because that's what they do, they're going to tell you, they're you going to tell you need radiation. 80, 90% chance you're going to have radiation if you go have this consult. So I was really preparing myself that I was going to have radiation. And you go to the appointment and you're sitting in the waiting room with all these women that are having radiation and they're chatting about how terrible it is. Sure. You and know? they probably don't look great. Like they, they don't look great and they're talking about all how, how much it hurts and mm. where it hurts and what's... So I go into the appointment and I'm really feeling, you know, emotional. And this doctor was complete different experience. He was kind. He sat down and he looked me in the eye. He held my hand. Mm. He asked me an hour's worth of questions wow. about my life. Mm. Like if I had children, if I had a support system, if I ate good food or right. drank, you know. And at the end of the appointment, he said, okay, we've, he said, I've never seen a case like yours. I've looked at this for three hours this morning. Mm. Oh. And he said, now that I've talked to you, I'm just going to tell you that I don't think you need radiation. And of course, I walked out of there very happy but feeling like you know this was another tender mercy in my life Absolutely. that I didn't have to have radiation how grateful you were for him to be there yeah that this man was in tune and he you know he knew what he was doing and he wasn't gonna make me do something that didn't I didn't need to do thank goodness was did they ever discover like what what is it is it just an anomaly it's just a thing they they really couldn't but what my oncologist has since told me is that because i'm taking a drug that takes the hormone out of my body mm -hmm. and my cancer was hormone receptive yep. that it, it even if it was cancer that hopefully this drug will take care of it kills it yeah good twofer so that's that so the next question is i at five years oh congratulations um, in a in one in, more in year oh in, in one, one more year, year. Okay, okay i'll be at five years mm -hmm. and then we're going to have the discussion about 
whether I can go off the drug. Ooh, yeah. And he said the research, some of the research is indicating that it's better to be on it for 10 years. Okay. And he said, by the time you're up with five years, we'll have more research and we'll talk about it then. Is it a hard drug to take? It is. Okay. It's everyone I know who has taken these drugs has side effects. And that's what led to my fifth surgery that I had last year. Um, is um, my my oncologist would send me for a scan once a year on my breasts. Mm-hmm. We w- I would go in and get a scan on there, but he would also do my abdomen, and I huh. didn't really understand why. Yeah, and then one day I got home from having the scan and immediately got a call from his office and that you learn that's not a good thing and so no he, news is good news right mm-hmm. and they called and said the lining of your uterus has thickened from and I can't remember the percentages but right. it had grown quite a bit in a short time and they said that's a side effect of the drug you take and it's indicative of uterine cancer. Mm. And that's one of the side effects. Mm-hmm. So I was referred to a um, oncol- you know, oncologist who specialized in that area. We talked about it, and I said, do, maybe we should just take the whole thing out. Because he said, otherwise I have to go every year and go through this experience again and wait for the results and decide if I have cancer. And I was just like, let's just... So I don't need it. Yeah. I <laughs> said, let's just take it out. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up having a hysterectomy. Oh. And um, that, that was last year. It's oh. a gift that keeps on giving. You just can't... I mean, every single year, it's a new thing. Yeah. So, and then, and then in between that, I... You know, when you... Um, when they do the implants, mm-hmm. it's... It's really hard to repair all the damage in one surgery. Yeah. And the plastic surgeon kept telling me, we can't make a diamond in just one cut. That's what his slogan was all the time. And I just wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. And, but I also wasn't ready to have another surgery. Yeah. So I I said, I'm gonna give myself two years because that's how much time I feel like I need to, you know, heal and feel like I'm... Mentally and physically. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then if I'm still uncomfortable with how I look, I'll, I'll go see what can be done. Is so this, 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 sorry to interrupt you. The skin, does the skin change? The skin is, is, is different and that, is that part of the problem? The skin is thin mm-hmm. and stretched mm-hmm. because they take a lot of it away. And... So, for example, the nipples they saved in the first surgery, they're not really in the right spot. Okay. Yeah. Um, They can't fix. That's something they can't fix because they said if they try to fix it, the skin might die and turn black and And go away because the blood flow, you know, would be affected. So that's something I just have to live with. Um, But there were other things that 
were bothering me that they could fix. So I went in after two years and changed out my implants to some, a different type of implant, which he thought would make, you know, make me happier and nipped and tucked, you know, here and there. And I'm really happy that I decided to do that. I feel a lot better about it and it was worth it. Yeah. You know, that's good. But you have to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you guys, because your husband's a doctor, because you're an educated and, you know, thoughtful person, you were able to really realize what the options were and, and you kind of made it happen. There's a lot of people out there that distrust the doctors and they do whatever they're going to say they're going to do and it doesn't matter. I think hearing your story, if I can glean anything from it, it would be that you've got to go with your gut. You got you have to be an advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't if it doesn't feel right, change it. Mm-hmm. You know, your doctor might not be a fit for you. Mm-hmm. The doctor might not be on his best at that time yeah. at that place. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It you don't need to worry about his feelings. This is all about your health. Right. And this is about who you are as a person. And you have to stay true to that. Right. Through the whole process. hundred percent. And it was interesting because I was going to, uh, there was, it was this whole breast cancer center. And they assigned me a, a mentor, a woman who had had breast cancer before me. And she would call me periodically. And when I made that change in the oncologist because the first one forgot mm-hmm. um, I changed out of that group to a different group mm-hmm. um, and when she found out about it she was upset and she oh. called me oh. and she was like why are you not changing to an oncologist that is in our center huh. and I was completely off guard yeah yeah as i am right now i I understand what i thought i thought you know i thought she i I really thought she was my friend yeah you know and i said you know that just wasn't who you know i could go to and this one of the things i love about this other doctor and i explained you know he was decisive and yeah that's what i need right now and she stopped calling me Oh, she never called me again. Oh, wow. So again, we're going back to, it's not about you. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't about your well-being. No. Right. Oh, no. That's terrible. And I I was kind of hurt my feelings. Yeah, I don't blame you. you. Um, But it's, you just have to do what you feel, you know, in your gut is going to take you in the right direction. You have some new stuff happening and I'm excited for you. What What are you up to these days? Well, one of the things that's challenging, pushing my, um, you know, kind of pushing me is um, they've asked me to organize a grief group. Oh. oh. Are and you the one doing that? Yes. I didn't know that was what, you. A, a church? Or yes, some, a oh, church. there's a women's grief group, and I keep seeing it advertised, and I didn't know that was you. Yes. And and so it was interesting because I, I, I never went to a grief group, mm-hmm. but I felt like if there had been one I would have gone I knew um, of a woman in South County who had done a grief group that my daughter had gone to so I called her and asked her about it Um, but we're creating this out of nothing wow 
and it's it's hard like yeah. there's a lot of grief out there there's a lot of grief there's a lot of grief That's the there's a lot of grief and i i would imagine because i would be one of these people i don't know if i would want to go right like I, it and would so, be and hard. if they do go, you want it to be worthwhile right. and yeah. meaningful, yeah. and you want them to come but you're back. Not, you're not a professional, no. Um, so that's a stretch for yeah. me. But I also feel really um, like that's a really important thing. If if we could create a meaningful grief group, that that could really serve a need. So I'm I'm hoping we can. You know, we'll make some mistakes, but I'm hoping we can get there. Oh, yeah. So then when you called and asked me to talk about breast cancer, I was like, wow, Lord, like, <laughs> this is really, like, seriously? Now You're I welcome. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I'm just doing the Lord's work here. <laughs> so that that's the part that's a stretch. Um, but there's also a really positive side. Um, I've been doing interior design. She's really good at it. She's always been good at it. We used to go pretty much yearly for a long time to the Pasadena House of Design and talk about doing it at some point. Well, Denise and I were always really passionate Mm -hmm. about, you know, home design. We don't talk about it. And I remember when you were going to do it. Yeah. I went to school for a while. And, uh, but uh, the timing was just so wonderful because my friend who I had been doing it for many years, um, had gone to Africa for four years. And when she came home, she decided she wasn't sure she wanted to do it again. And then she said, she called me up one day and she said, I've been praying about whether or not I should go back into design. And I got the answer that I should, but I I should do it with you. Mm -hmm. And it's so much better when you do it with a friend. Absolutely. And she'd, she knew what she was doing. So I said, well, I'll be your intern, you know. Yeah. She, you, she's my mentor. But mm-hmm. um, but I also knew I had some skill and I had a big passion for it. And it's just been such a blessing to have something creative mm-hmm. and positive yeah. in my life. Yep. You know, most of the jobs we've done are people my age who mm-hmm. have grandchildren. And we're creating a place for their families to gather a legacy a space of legacy yep and it's um it's wonderful you know we we had a neat experience i did my cousin's basement in utah Mm -hmm. and you know how those basements are that's like four bedrooms oh it's a whole home down there a kitchen Yeah. yeah a whole you know huge family room and it turned out really pretty and just when we finished um and my cousin, it was just her and her husband, and they were living in the upstairs. They got a call. It was right when the war with Ukraine had mm. started. They got a call from several people, seven different people, saying, we know you have this basement. Would you let this family from Ukraine live there till they can find really? housing? They have four children. Well, they had five children, but four at home. And um, they had... A crazy story of how they'd gotten out and they ended up living in that space for I think it was about six months Wow and um, crazy too because my cousin's husband spoke fluent Italian and 
the only other language this family spoke besides Ukrainian was Italian. Oh my gosh. It's just, and my cousin is a therapist. Oh. So they would go down every night and the wife would cry, you know, and, she, yeah. and, and, and they and could, they could talk with talk her. With her. And I felt, I mean, it sounds crazy, and, but I felt like I had contributed. Absolutely. Did. We created this beautiful space that yeah. they enveloped them be, and it would comfort them. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was just really lovely. It oh, is. That's the greatest story I've ever heard. So let's do so. a shout out to your company. So Patina Jackson Design. Right. Um, Patina Jackson. Patina is my friend, and she had been doing it for Shout years. Shout out to Tina. And she, um, so she already had it all in place, so we left the name. We didn't change it, but um, yeah, it's been really a fun learning experience. And Well, Amber, we are so grateful that you were able, were able to come on the um, podcast and give us a little insight on breast cancer, and we just want everybody to know get those tatas looked at. Like, mm. let's make sure we save those tatas, right? Yep. But before you leave, our tradition is to ask our guest to give us a takeaway gift, a tag, something that we can remember you by. And so do you have anything for us to, today? Okay, there was a book um, that someone gave me right after Addie died that I really loved by psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on grief and grieving and this is a quote from her and i really i really love this it says the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat known suffering known struggle known loss and have found their way out of the depths these persons have an appreciation a sensitivity an understanding of life that fills them with compassion gentleness and a deep loving concern beautiful people do not just happen. I really love that. It's beautiful. That's so that's beautiful. Name of the author again? Elizabeth Kubler Ross. We'll have a link for that book. Thank you, Amber, for coming on. We're Thanks. really glad to have you today. It's inspirational. It's been we're, fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Honored. Super honored. Oh, thank you. We're glad you were here. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're two average girls. We'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries.